1: What's happening, friends? Welcome to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, our monthly interview series where I have the pleasure of sitting down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the games industry. And this month, uh, we've, we've tr- brought the show remote. We've traveled far. We're out here at Bethesda Game Studios in uh, Rockville, Maryland, with the great Todd Howard, the Todd father, the man <laughs> behind uh, the Elder Scrolls series, the Fallout series, and all kinds of new stuff you guys are cooking up. Todd, thanks so much for inviting us. This thanks for coming
2: out. It's been a, a long time in the making when you first brought this up.
1: Yes, you used to call in to my OXM podcast Good back times. in the day. That yeah. was fun back in the Oblivion and Fallout 3 days. Uh, we'll get to all that, but uh, you know, it's you've had a heck of a career all here. And that's and that's one thing I find super fascinating about you. So um, we well, kinda I want to dig into that, but I always like to, of course, start at the beginning. And it's, you know what. You you uh, fell in love with RPGs pretty early on, right? Wizardry and uh, Wizardry, Ultima was a big one for you. The
2: Ultima series was kind of the first time where... You know, I was a kid who grew up with video games like everybody else. Who, yeah. uh, I think we're up in the 70s. and But Ultima was the first time where I played something... You played play D&D, where that kind of experience translated. You know, yeah. where I felt like... I could do a lot of things in the world, despite it being, whatever, 16 pixels or 8 pixels by 8 (laughs) pixel tiles. Um, It felt very real for the time that I was in the game. I'd go to bed thinking about it and, oh, how am I going to finish this quest? And uh, really just captured my imagination in terms of this is something that I I really, really want to do. There
1: seems to be, I've noticed in in doing 30-something episodes of this, there seems to be a pretty high correlation with game developers and tabletop D&D. So I think that's true right? for, yeah,
2: whether it's, well, not just gaming. I think a lot of people then, you know, D&D, it's that, that time period, right, when, um, you know, I might have the years wrong, uh, 76, uh, 1976 to 1985, that period of like D&D and science fiction movies yeah. and fantasy and all of that, I think was a, was a big stepping stone from where entertainment was a decade before
1: so you mentioned Ultima being being big for you as a kid. Um, well, how, how old were you back when you were when you first remember getting into games?
2: I was probably six or seven. I wrote my first game when I was twelve. Nice. Um, what was that? Trash Do you 80? remember it? There was a it was a, there was a Star Trek game on the Trash eighty, and then I did a rip off of it called <laughs> Shotgun. Called the T- the TRS eighty is the Trash eighty. That's what everyone called it. Um, <laughs> And then the Apple II came out right yeah. soon after, and then w- once I got my hands on one of those, I was, I was very much a self-taught Apple II uh, programmer, um, and I could really, you know, I could make that thing do pretty much whatever I wanted. Uh, and that's when computers started coming into classrooms. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't suggest I was a, a great student. I wasn't a terrible student, but in computer class I was, you know... I was in my that own. Was, I was in, in my element. own element. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: what, uh, what What were your favorite games on Apple II?
2: Uh, well, Ultima, um, obviously. Um, Prince of Persia came out. Yes. Um, uh, Karateka. I used to say it called Karateka, yeah. but I understand it's called Karateka. Um, and that was the first game where it has like, you know, s- cinema style cutscenes and all of these things. And I liked then that I could mess with them. You know, if you knew if you knew uh, assembly language or hex editing, then you could go in and mess with the games that I couldn't do on a you know Atari or yeah. ColecoVision or those kind of things.
1: So I imagine you've you've since gotten to meet
2: Jordan Meshner, I and, have, and Richard Garriott, I have. Actually, it's one of the great kind of, and that's a weird thing where you go to these things and then, uh, you know, Richard Garriott sent me a thing after I got in the Hall of Fame, and that's like where you go like, is this we is this real? Yeah. Is this you know um, and uh, He's, he's fabulous, you know, one of the most uh, amazing creatives our industry has had. He's been to space. He has, and back yeah. from and Russia, and they back, land, yeah. uh, the thing I love there is they don't land in the water. They land on the ground. They have yeah. just big springs or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, so was it, was it a case of, it sounds like it wasn't a case of never meet your heroes. Like, it was, it was a cool experience. I met him a
2: few times, so there was, there was a hero moment. Uh, phew. You know, probably when I first started here. So this would have been 25 years ago. Or when he was doing Ultima 8. Uh, I, I met him for the first time. But yeah. then we, we met over the years, and he's been out to QuakeCon. He gave his space talk there. Nice. We met an event a few months ago um, in D.C. as well. So,
1: so uh, you, you mentioned already that you, you're messing around with games. You're starting to toy with, with programming and making stuff. Did you ever want to be anything else when you grew up besides a, a video game developer?
2: Um, wanted to be? No. I thought about going to movies. I actually have a, uh, I have a finance degree only because it seemed like the easiest way to get through college at the time. <laughs> and I actually interviewed at Circuit City because their headquarters were nearby where I went to college at William Mary. Mary. Yeah. And uh, they turned me down for the job and I was like all right, um, that was done. I don't even know why I was doing that anyway. And we're at Circuit City today, so there's that. Yeah, you made um, the right choice. Yeah, exactly. Clearly. And uh, I was like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna chase this video game thing. I'd rather, I'd rather do that and see where it goes. But at the time, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a career that you would choose wisely. You oh. know, you're looking at 93, 94, Yeah. Um, and my parents were sort of, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs>
1: Finance seems like an odd, like not even like computer science or... Well,
2: what happened was I did computer stuff on my own, but they wouldn't let me jump ahead in those courses. So I kept doing it on my own. I kept programming and making my own things. And I took one computer class just to up my GPA some, I think. Just to like, (laughs) okay, I'll just jump in, give me the A. But they wouldn't let me jump, you know, to the 300 level courses or whatever. But this was a long time ago, right? So I think today it's very, very different. Where programming and those kind of things in college, um, it's pretty ubiquitous. Yeah,
1: because you so you, finance, and then you also you double majored engineering too. I did
2: some. I did some. some. I, I don't actually. You're probably reading that off my Wikipedia page. A little, which little is, research. Which, some some of which, which may involve Wikipedia.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> like not factually correct on that one. <laughs> we may want to fix. We'll fix that after the interview. Sure. Yeah. It's the beauty of Wikipedia. We can go fix it. But I almost had. I I almost had a minor in art. So I did. So I was interested in art as well. So when yeah. it came to the gaming, it was a lot of graphics programming as well. How could I get these things to work? So it was a mix of business school, art stuff, and then programming on my own. So were your parents rooting? They
1: were, they were probably, it sounds like they were happy with the finance degree. Like, great, he'll get a good job. He'll you know be what? fine.
2: They were, they were great in supporting me and saying, hey... Whatever you want to do that really inspires you and makes you happy, go do that, yeah. and you know, the rest of it will work out. Don't, don't chase a job uh, f- for money, which I think is the best advice.
1: What, and what do, they, uh, what do they think of your success now?
2: They didn't quite get it for a long time. They generally thought that I was a professional goof-off. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it was until other people mentioned it to them. You know what other people yeah. would say. Hey, I, I saw Todd in this thing, or they would run into somebody and they'd say, "Oh, my son makes video games," and they'd go, "Oh, what kind of games?" And they'd say it, and they go, and they they would <laughs> I mean, know who no, I was, yeah. and then I think that's when it that's when it clicked. Did they? Did it you, took a while. Did they come to the the Hall of Fame ceremony? Uh, no, my father had passed away. Oh, my mother was it. unable to travel, but my brother was there, and uh, so but it, we still got to celebrate all yeah. that.
1: Yeah, awesome. Um, so. In between your graduation in 93, you get, and then when you get hired at Bethesda in 94, were there any, did you have any like interesting odd jobs during that time? Or, or?
2: No, I had come by Bethesda before I graduated. So I swung by. It was Martin Luther King weekend uh, of my senior year. And I, as the story goes, I drove by the office. I was living in Pennsylvania, and it was on my way yeah. back to uh, William & Mary. And I drove, I used to stop by the office. I just drove in cold and knocked on the door and said. And they said, told you to stay in school. They did. I said, I want to work here one day. And they said, Well, are you available? I said, No, it's just an FYI. And they told me to come back uh, after I graduated. And I, I, I pinged them after I graduated, but there weren't any openings. And I actually got a job at a small place uh, that called AbleSoft, which got bought later by MicroLeague. who made old MicroLeague soccer. Um, and so I was doing little Windows games and apps. Huh. Well, I'm calling it apps. They weren't right, then. not then. But little, little Windows things and other programs. <laughs> we did some small games, um, worked on a thing. I was really into comic books, too. We did a thing called the Comic Collector. to let you organize your comic collections. Nice. Um, and they sold these in, at the time, uh, you know, what was Electronics Boutique, and Babbages and Comp USA and and all of these places, and I got to go to things like GDC in the early years. This was in '93, yeah. And uh, the precursor to E3 and those kind of things. And I would I would go by Bethesda and say. Well, let me know when there's an opening, um, and eventually they did. They say, "Hey, we got something. Why don't, you, eventually you, got why don't there. you come in and talk to us?" And I did.
1: And uh, your first game was Terminator: Future Shock, which uh, I remember playing that game. I, I remember thinking, "Wow, this is this is a really cool Terminator. a first-person Terminator game. How great is this?" Um, so, what what was your approach? You you did some design work, and you were a producer on that, right? What was sort of uh, your approach to it with, with, no, with minimal previous experience to fall back on at that point?
2: When I got, that project was going when I got here. I actually helped produce briefly um, a college basketball game that Bethesda had that was being done outside. They kind of gave me that and the CD-ROM version of Arena. Arena had just come out yeah. when I started. Um, and that was a game that convinced me also. This is, where this, I was, was the this is where I went to work. I was into sports games, I was into RPGs, I was into like you know all of that stuff, and um, Future Shock was just starting to get going, and it was the advent of hey we have this 3D engine, the X engine, and this is the kind of game we want to do. And Daggerfall was just in its infancy, mm-hmm. um, and they put me on as the producer, and which looking back is like. Way over, like, I don't know why like, you would You're like me, a 22-year-old kid. Like, okay. Um, but it was a very, it, the point is, I think gaming then, people know, was very, very small. Everybody had to do everything. Um, yeah, you're down in the
1: basement, like, boxing up copies, right? We were.
2: We would box the copies yeah. and send them off. And so, but that was, I don't know, it's a team of six, seven people, maybe, and everybody did everything. And that was, like, the best way to learn very, very quickly what, how to do this.
1: Do you remember, what do you remember about that project? Like, do you, do you when, when I say it, do you think well of it? Do you think, oh, not that game? Or what's,
2: how do you remember? I loved it. It was like, is this how this, this shit actually works? <laughs> because at that time, legally, no one owned the Terminator license. I don't know if it was really, like, for like legal battle, but I'm going to get this wrong. Carolco, Hemdale, somebody, and they got in a fight over the license. Yeah. So we were doing, in that period... We were doing Terminator games and checked with nobody. Nobody said, like, we approve that or don't approve right. that. We did whatever the hell we wanted. Awesome. But we were fans of it, so we'd pick apart the movies, and we just made the game, right? So that kind of... It also shows, like, that kind of, you know, okay, we really want to dig in and make this feel right, but without somebody saying no, we can move very quickly and make what, sure. I, what I think is a fabulous game. Um, and I think in many ways was ahead of its time. It was the first... Th- full 3D first-person shooter, yeah, I first PC game with mouse look, um, which a lot of people were like, "Why? Why would you do an interface like this?" they are very used to Doom. Oh yeah, um, and the you know the WASD controls were what we had in Terminator. Um, so I look back very very fondly. And the other thing when I think about it is, obviously we get the Fallout license later, which seems like a departure to us, whereas if you look at Terminator we had actually been alternating post-apocalyptic 3D worlds and fantasy. (laughs) I never thought about it. Right, right, exactly. So when it comes to Fallout, it wasn't that, okay, we've built these destroyed cities. Here's how we did it in Future Shock and Skynet, the multiplayer one. And it wasn't that long ago. Some of the people were still here, like (laughs) myself. Um,
1: So it sounds like, if you remember this fondly, it'd be cool to do a re... It sounds like you'd be down for a remake, but uh, but the, the licensing now... Would probably just be a, a giant nightmare and not worth it.
2: It probably would be, yeah. And we, <laughs> we have other things to work on. But we did, I did a design for, like, another one after that called Terminator Dawn, I think it was, where you became the Terminator. Um, but it never, it never got off the ground, because then the rights started being acquired. Yeah. And we're like, well, you know, we have, we, have other, we have other things to do. <laughs> what did
1: you learn from that? Be- you know, Future Shock being your first, like, full major game project. You, are there any sort of core <laughs> lessons that you remember from that? Or
2: I mean, mostly it was that even on a small scale, these things are group efforts, right? When you're doing it on your own before you get into a studio, it's all up to you. Yeah. And I could do a lot of things, right? I, I, did, I could program, I could do art, I could do level design, I could produce, I could do... I did the sound effects for Terminator and Daggerfall and some for Morrowind, then I stopped. Um, but your ability to work with a group... And, and get the best out of everybody, even you know, at that scale, made all the difference. Yeah. And then when you get it on a larger scale like we are now, it still makes a very, very big difference. It's a team sport.
1: So you moved on to Elder Scrolls after that, uh, which had, as you know, already started. Arena had already come out. Now, given your penchant for role-playing games as a kid, was it as, at that point, is that dream-come-true territory where you are now, you've gone from playing role-playing games as a kid to making your
2: own? It, looking back, yes. At the time, it was... The, the Ours were so big, right? Whereas Terminator, you could focus a little more on a level, even yeah. though the levels are wide open expanses. And Elder Scrolls game is so big at the time, very procedurally generated as well. Um, and it was wrapping your hands around what's going to make this tick on a minute-to-minute basis in the game. And so... Um, it wasn't until probably later into Oblivion where I started feeling like, okay, this is uh, this is the type of thing that that you know we we fulfilled the the dream of this is what we should be making.
1: And it, t- it took you that long, even not even Morrowind sort of. I think in the Morrowind,
2: in, but getting through it, was, I mean, we were making Oblivion, so it was after Morrowind came out. Yeah. Morrowind we can get into, but it's it's a time of. Um, you know the company going through a lot of troubles, and we got to get this game right. Uh, but once, when we're making Oblivion, we had more resources, a lot more we could do at the time. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, had you played Elder Scrolls Arena prior to joining? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so you, yeah, I loved it. So you were you were, you knew you were able to just sort of dive right in. Oh, very like, much, in, in, very much. At least as far as the, the lore and all that stuff. You, yeah, you knew there's very you little lore
2: do. in that game, but the type of game it it was. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, a f- first person. It's like Ultima Underworld on a very grand scale, is what it was going for.
1: When, um, so then you move on to Redguard project leader there. Yeah. And so you're uh, then tapped to lead Elder Scrolls Three right. Morrowind. So it, did you, at the time, see that as okay? This is my big opportunity to
2: like prove myself here, or in some ways, in some ways, yes. What You asked like, what was going on for us and in the industry at the time. I had led Red Guard, a game I love. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always liked genre mashups. You know, Star Control 2 is one of my favorite games. It's a great game, The Horde. Actually made by the same people, I believe. Um, and... Uh, Red Guard was very much of a mashup. It's an adventure game. It's an action game. It's got a little bit of a role-playing stuff in it. But the game did horribly, right? It was the wrong game at the wrong time, yeah. probably on the wrong platforms. And the company had really, really shrunk. Okay, so... And more when it had, had fits and starts and been put away. And it was really the Red Guard team that was kind of left. And it was while we were making Red Guard, they said, hey, we want you guys to go after Morrowind next. Todd, we want you to lead it. Um, And given how Redguard did, and we had some other um, fits and starts with Battlespire, and it was very clear, okay, this is kind of our last shot, right? Um, And the company changed hands. That's where Bethesda then, Zenimax Media was formed, and Bethesda Softworks became part of that. So, it wasn't that it was necessarily my shot, it was kind of everybody's last last shot, is how I'd say it. And is is there a tangible
1: pressure at that point or are you able to kind of not yeah. worry about that? Yeah.
2: No. <laughs> well, <laughs> Major pressure? It was pressure, but you're also not worried about it because you just went through, hey, this company could close. Right? So it's it's also freeing in that, okay, we went at this with no fear. Right. But Let there was fly. still but there's still that pressure of if this game doesn't succeed, we're probably not a company. Did you did, Which is pressure. Right. So you know? if you
1: stop and think like, all right, well if this fails, what am I gonna do?
2: No. I, at the time. Well, maybe I did. I don't, I don't think about it that way sitting yeah. here. When I look back, I think about it in terms of um, we were very, very aggressive. Like the sky was the limit because why not? Right. What's, what's going to happen? <laughs> what's going to happen yeah. is where we were. Like, well, we're all hosed. And yeah, shoot for the moon. Right. Exactly. Shoot for the moon. And this is what uh, we should do. And we had, we had very strong convictions as to the game that we wanted to make and how we were going to go about it.
1: So then uh, Morrowind takes off first on PC and then it comes to Xbox. So does, uh, did you have any inkling that it would translate well to consoles? Like did did Microsoft come to you guys and want that game with the PS2 being, you know, really a home for Japanese RPGs? Like what what was sort of the story behind uh, the the sort of console success of, of Morrowind?
2: They did they came to us when they were just about to announce the original Xbox and we had had a relationship obviously with Microsoft from the from the PC days um, and we were I was doubtful at first you know we were very much a PC shop yeah how will this translate? First of all, can we do it technically? Number one, really difficult proposition at the time, given the sure. memory on the system. number two, if we can say we can do it how will it translate, both interface-wise and all those things? Let's say we do all that. Number three, is anyone going to want this? Like, console RPG at the time was very Final Fantasy. Yes. And we kind of put that number three away. Right? There's nothing we can do about that. People want it or they don't want it. Let's focus, like, technically, how does the interface work? And and, uh, Microsoft was awesome. They were an incredible partner in having us look at some interfaces and best practices. Um, Technically, they helped us as well. But that was one of the Herculean, magical... The fact that we pulled that off, even today, I, I, I cannot tell you how that game works. I know, I mean, I know, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty miraculous, and it was very... There was a slight gap between the PC and the Xbox, maybe two, a month or two? Yeah. I forget. But it... I mean... We, I, I was shocked at how well it did in Xbox. It, it became the dominant way, the dominant platform for the game. At the time... And I don't know the, the period of it, but it was the second best-selling game behind Halo. I believe it. Which, I mean, I don't think you go into that expecting that. And that did reorient us in terms of, hey, there's an audience for this that wants to play these kind of deeper experiences, despite it being hooked to television. It doesn't, like, the, the device doesn't matter as much to the audience, whereas you'd say, a PC player thinks this way and a console right. player thinks this way. That definitely reoriented, reoriented us to say, "Hey, going into Oblivion, we had to think of it like like this." And is
1: right? is it like is it life changing success of Morrowind overall? You know, PC and console,
2: or is it just is it just a reassuring? It's success? a reassurance. No, it, it did well enough on the PC that we said, "Okay, we're good. We can," uh, you know. Financially, we're set, we can go into oblivion yeah. with... And most places would say, okay, you have this huge success in Morrowind. Where's our sequel in a year or two years? And the fact that I was able to go and say, we'd like four years and to make a next-gen RPG, is sort of like, <laughs> you know. That was a little bit of a conversation, but not as much pushback as you would, you would think. It's one of the great things about this company is they let the creatives, like, what do you really want to do? What's your vision? How do we make it happen? Um, And that has been one of the, I would say this, one of the amazing things about ZeniMax and Bethesda across all of the studios that you don't see anywhere else. And I think part of that reason is because we're a private company. Yeah, no shareholders, stands. And that jump is, okay, let's take four years and reboot all of this stuff after one success. That's pretty rare. And the other thing that happens in between there is what else do you want to do? And that's where Fallout comes in.
1: Oh, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. That's <laughs> yeah. I don't want to jump ahead in your questions. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they, Bethes- they've... ZeniMax has put a lot of trust in you for a long time. And, they've, and They you've, have. you've paid that trust off handsomely.
2: Well, it really is a partnership. I could not do it, honestly, without... The people that that I work with within ZeniMax who support this, like, and they're they're awesome awesome partners.
1: Like we're you, we're going to go. We'll talk about this later, but we're probably going to be going a decade between Elder Scrolls games and. At, at any other publisher, <laughs> they, they would have, they would laugh you out of the boardroom and fire you and say, "No, we'll bring well, somebody else." Well, I can't say they're ecstatic
2: one. about that one, right? <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> but um, so, okay, Oblivion, which you've you've been alluding to that for me, that was the one for me that made me a super fan of of what. You and I guys think that's do. where we first met. It was, yeah. It was. I almost I joked. I think with with Pete Hines at the time, I I should have had a desk here during the I Oblivion times. So I was I was out here a lot, and it was a. I have fond memories. I remember uh, I did. A, we did an exclusive review of Oblivion for Xbox Magazine, and I was in a conference room in the basement, straight below us. Eleven hours a day for four was days, it that? and there was the, the hotel was right next door before it was converted into the apartments. The apartments there, there. Yeah. yeah. So I'd literally just walk back. You
2: did a number of previews. It was great. I remember because oh, yeah. the, the Oblivion really was. Hey, this is a true next gen. Was the, kind of the first new next gen game.
1: Yeah, because yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, it was the big, you're right, next generation experience. I mean, uh, it was kinda you guys, Ghost Recon, Advanced Warfighter was another big one early on. Gears of War wasn't coming Fight out until the fall. Fight Night was uh Was beautiful. Was Fight Night? Yeah. yeah, that was good. But then, and then Halo was, you know, yeah. off in the distance. So it was all about you guys, and that's, so with Oblivion, uh, sounds like the, the discussion with Microsoft happened very early on, for for doing something on the Xenon,
2: exactly. Good pull on the code name. I've been um, around a while. Yeah, after uh, after the Morrowind hits, it was okay. We want you guys on the new one right away, yeah. and it was a very early conversation. Here's what we're planning for hardware. Here's this, um, and again, that helped tremendously. And we were going to be a launch title, and that That's was what I was
1: just going to ask you. Yeah, that was the plan, right?
2: That was the plan. We ended up in the launch window. It was pretty close. You know what? Uh, for the scale of that game, we hit, you know, four months after yeah. launch on a new system for that kind of game. That was another I- incredible effort, but it was, you know, that was about as close, as I think, as anyone's ever done it.
1: Yeah, and uh, it was... Do you, do you think, in hindsight, would, would being a Day 1 title have made any real difference in the... In, the game went on to tremendous success, but would, would Day 1
2: have made know. any difference? I don't know. Sales-wise, I don't know. The quality-wise, it would have made a huge negative difference, <laughs> right. right? Because you're still looking at, <clears throat> at the end of the day, it is how much time do you have on the final hardware? And in those days, you know, the hardware is coming in pr- pretty hot. You're working on emulators and oh, things yeah, like that before Mac, that. Mac
1: G5 dev kits, as I recall. Right, but
2: if you move, if you move four months, it may seem like four months, but that could be double or two hundred. 300% longer on final hardware yeah. than in November or whatever day it was.
1: Now, there's, there's sort of a famous story that uh, Peter Moore told on, on my show one time about, I mean, it's, it's told it elsewhere, but uh, about Epic really pushing them with specific regard to Gears of War we were on doing the RAM. Same. Oh, my gosh. So, re- d- did you guys have any sort of influence
2: on, on the, the hardware? Oh, my gosh. We, because with Oblivion, you can only imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> we, when they told us, we, have, we threw a party. I have pictures from the party. We, we had, a, we had a, <laughs> a double the memory party in the studio. That's so great. Yeah, we got drinks and the programmers are, <laughs> yeah. I think it was the only time we've ever done that For someone calls and says, yeah, okay, we've upped the hardware. So you'd been leaning on them as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Le- is the wrong word. Again, it's a partnership, well, but sure. it was more of a, here's what you're going to get without it. Right. Here's what you're going to get with it. What would we have gotten without that? We might not have gotten the game. So really? I don't know. There's always sacrifices to be made. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't remember per se, but the, the, the things we would have had to give up uh, to get it to run were, were going to be extreme. So I, I, just, I, can, I will never forget like walking out of
1: that dungeon, that jail cell for the first time. And then you, when you first emerged into the open world in Oblivion, what, what, do, you, what do you think about when you think about Oblivion now?
2: Uh, that was definitely, um, at the time, the stepping stone for us where the people who played our games became so much larger that you couldn't quite take it all in. Whereas Morrowind, it was popular, but you could appreciate what the community was saying and things and the type of players that we had and Oblivion just goes you know where it seemed like everybody was playing it. Yeah. Um, And that they were experiencing that type of game the amount of new players that's a better way to say it right the amount of new people coming to that kind of experience was was large.
1: And is that the life changing success? Because it seems like that's where it just went into the stratosphere.
2: It's all. It's like you're just like going when up. Does Todd Howard become Todd Howard? I don't know. You, you can tell me. Uh, I, I feel I'm. I'm quite the same. Uh, but each. It's been slow, right? And you say we, hey, we've been doing this. I've been at the same place for 25 years. Yeah. With a lot of the same people. Um, it's. It's very gradual for us. Or it's like doing a because the games take three or four years. Like getting a new degree or going to school again, you learn something new, and then it goes to this, and it goes to this, and it goes to this.
1: Uh. Do the expectations? You know, you, you just you got done praising your your uh, overlords here and uh, right. putting a lot of faith in you. But what happens to, if anything, to the expectations on you and on your team when Oblivion goes through the roof?
2: Well, they want to know what we're going to do next, right? So hey, what's what's next? Um, and there there are obviously certain financial uh, expectations, but those usually. I mean they're obvious business things with what are you gonna spend on the next game. Yeah. And when one's successful, not that they give you a blank check, but they say just tell us what you want to do. And I've always been somewhat compared to our competitors, conservative. I'd rather spend longer with less people than put a thousand people on a game and, and try to do it quickly. Because right. you is your personal team you
1: still have you manage one team here or or has it turned into more now
2: it's it's more
1: there i mean i know you have the satellite studios and you oversee all that but is it is it still one team under you or
2: well that's a tricky answer in terms of we move people between between projects now and we had sort of done that when we got fallout where we'd have some people on fallout and then on elder scrolls and then there's usually like a two-year period where everybody's on the game that's coming out. So it was, it was a lot easier to kind of, we're a one-project, one-team studio. Right. Now we're four locations in North America. Typically what was 100 people here in Rockville is now 400 and some spread between uh, Austin, Dallas, and, and Montreal. We can talk about how we got to that. Yeah, we will. But we, we felt um, we needed that scale to do some of the things that we were doing coming up. And we're able to do more stuff, but still when we have a game that needs, needs people on it, we move people to it. Um, and how I spend my time has definitely changed.
1: Uh, I am definitely curious about that. But I've, I first want to, before we leave uh, the Oblivion era, right. i I got to talk to you about horse armor for a second.
2: I can talk about that at length. <laughs> good, we have nothing but time. Right. That's the beauty here. Let's spend a good twenty uh, minutes on horse armor. That's so what buckle up, wants, everyone. Right? Yeah, I All mean, right.
1: if you're if you're hardcore enough to watch this podcast, odds are you, you want to know, know the you story behind know. horse armor. So uh, ringtones. <laughs> it was horse that's armor. Horse armor was one of the first bits of paid DLC.
2: I think it may be the first.
1: May have been the first. I don't know. I couldn't. I t- I couldn't tell me it's the it.
2: first, but I'm not sure that's true.
1: It was definitely one of the first. We can agree on that much. We can agree on that. Um, How much horse armor did you sell? (laughs) It.
2: People will buy anything. That doesn't mean you should do it. They will buy anything. That sounds terrible. (laughs) That sounds real bad. Horse armor is not bad. I think horse (laughs) armor is fine. The price point at the time was the issue. And Xbox, they were doing themes. And right. they were, that ringtones were big at the time. That's what I say ringtones. Yes. Ringtones are just crushing it financially for Nokia. Yeah, on, whoever.
1: Your, on your like Nokia sure candy enough. bar phone. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And they started selling themes. And we said, well, we're going to do we want to do expansion packs. We had done some for Morrowind. We'd rather have this free-flowing kind of DLC into the game. We have lots of ideas. We did a bunch for Morrowind and put them on the website for free. We're very into that, the creation kit and the modding yes. and all yeah, that. Yes, you guys always have Okay, it. so you know, how do we get this to console players? We'll do it this way. And horse armor is, for what it is, is actually, I think it's fine. You armor your horse, you can buy it. There's new dialogue. Um, the ups its stats. And we, we felt, well, it's probably worth this. And I won't say who at Microsoft <laughs> said, well, that's less than we sell a theme for. We're, like a wallpaper is right. more than that. Right. You should charge this. You can always lower it. We're like, okay. <laughs> and so I think it's, it's a price to value proposition at the time not do I want armor for my horse Yeah. and looking back now it's quite, it's quite cheap compared well, to what now. some people yeah <laughs> um, but what's funny is for a long time every April Fool's Day we would do a DLC sale for Oblivion and double the price of horse armor <laughs> and it sells more than everything because people are in on the joke. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did, did, horse, did the horse armor put your kids through college?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it will. It um, will. That's not, you know. Uh, that's the, it's, it sells a lot. Yeah. yeah.
1: But again. Lo- what else was on the whiteboard? When, if you're, if, if you, you've had this meeting with Microsoft and they're like, we want some paid the other, DLC. The other stuff
2: we put out. We did the Strongholds. Yeah. We did Shivering Isles. We did Knights of the well, Nights. If you right. look at Oblivion, I think actually has an, like an awesome suite of content that you can buy. Of different size, and the uh, Mayrune's Razor Dungeon, I think, looking back, um, and you can see us quickly adjust, right, price yeah. point to qu- to quality. Yeah, Knights of the
1: Nine was a more sort of traditional expansion, right? If sorts. you look at Knights
2: of the Nine, I forget how much it was, but it's maybe might have been ten at the time, maybe. And Horse Armor was maybe I don't know if it was three bucks. I think it $4. was three. Okay, memory serves. So, but we're always chasing that, right? Where the price, I think others do as well, where given how much we jam in a game for 60 bucks, we can never quite meet that value proposition with any extra content. Because there's so much we give you for $60. That's true. Um, but And that's, you know, look, anytime people are doing new things, they're going to go through that process.
1: Uh, so you, you alluded to this already, and you've told me this story before, but uh, I don't think at IGN. So Fallout, the acquisition of Fallout. You had reached this level of success here that uh, as, as I, if I remember correctly, the story goes they asked you what you wanted to do next, mm-hmm. and you told them you wanted Fallout, so they just went out and got it for you.
2: That's the shortest version of it, but, <laughs> but true. Yeah. And that's another thing that's special about this place is okay, we want you. Know, okay, what do you want to do other than Elder Scrolls? Morrowind has become this huge hit. hit. Yeah. So this is between Morrowind and Oblivion. Right. 2004, I believe. So just two years after Morrowind. Um, the yeah, Interplay was going it, it,
1: under-ish They're going under-ish It was the MMO
2: Well, the, so the way it happens We made a list of what else we'd like to do Yeah. And a post-apocalyptic game was number one And it was Fallout Like, hey, this would be the perfect fit We have a vision for what we'd do with it This is the perfect fit And uh, some folks in the company knew, knew folks at Interplay Who ran it And our actual pitch was It was a license deal we didn't actually buy it initially. We licensed it, which is probably why they picked us out of others, right? And here's what we're going to do with it. Right, because you are going to enhance their value in their eyes, or their, their IP's value. Exactly. And, but it was something we felt strongly obviously would be great for us as well. But it's, it, it, it's a license deal. And it was during development that it came up, hey, let's, let's, let's buy it out. And, that, and then that deal was done before the game came out. But initially, it, it's a licensing deal. And the odd thing there is, we announced it before Oblivion. <laughs> so Fallout 3 gets announced by us before Oblivion gets announced. And that was also a thing I remember at the time saying, we had done Morrowind, and then we're going to announce we're doing Fallout 3. Which throws the Fallout fans for a loop, and the Elder Scrolls fans <laughs> for a loop, right? So that's like a no-win announcement right, right there. And I think we added to it, yeah, we're doing it along with the next Elder Scrolls. <laughs> so even though Fallout was going to, Fallout 3 was going to be a ways out, and, uh, But that was a, one of my favorite experiences making a game, by far, was Fallout 3.
1: Wait, and uh, how history has now repeated itself, where everybody just keeps harassing you about Elder Scrolls 6, and so last year you gotta go out on stage and say,
2: we're, look, we're making it! Exactly, exactly. be quiet exactly. for a while, please. Right, right. We gotta be careful going to E3 and saying, <laughs> here's a Fallout game we're not sure everybody wants, there's an Elder Scrolls game we're not sure everybody wants. Might as well say, we're doing these other things as well that we're, we're pretty sure you want from us.
1: Um, what was it about Fallout that had appealed to you? I take it you, you, love you, you it. played
2: the originals. Oh, I love it. It is just, yeah. I think that world is complete genius. And if you and it, it, I think it's shown when you look at all the other post-apocalyptic stuff that's come out, sure. Um, that that basic world that that the guys at Interplay did, you know, um, and that because that, that's the answer. Why don't you just do your own post-apocalyptic world? And it is. It would not be the same, right? This yeah. This this the world there that got destroyed is is really interesting, and you can't kind of shoplift that.
1: So. A lot of people, I, t- I won't make this a blanket statement, but I've, in conversations with colleagues, friends, I've noticed a theme, maybe it's just me, that people seem to, you know, they really like your games, but they tend to genuinely, like, really prefer Elder Scrolls or Fallout. I don't meet a lot of people that are like, I just love both to, de-. most people tend to be like, yeah, I like them both, but man, I'm, I'm an Elder Scrolls person, right?
2: Do you find that and which do you have a, a favorite child of the two? I do not have a favorite child. <laughs> I like going between them. They have different they have different tones, so it's nice yeah. to to spend time in each one. Um I think you're probably right there. We have we have a lot of people that play both. Without a doubt. We can see that that data sure. and there's a huge I crossover. Yeah. Plus otherwise, you can also see it in the success of the games. You know, Fallout 3 would not have been the Fallout 3 the way it was without Oblivion, right? So Fallout Three, in some ways, is the follow-up from us to Oblivion. Yeah. And then Skyrim wouldn't have been what it was without Fallout Three, and Fallout Four. Like, yeah, okay, I don't need to do them all. Um, <laughs> but I, I agree with you that when you do, when I do meet people, they they definitely. I play them both, but I love this one. Yeah. You know, I really love this world, or I love, or I love this world, and they have they have very different tones. Um, so it's understandable. Do
1: you think it's the, it is that the tone that people tend to gravitate a little maybe one way or the other?
2: Definitely. I think when you, when you spend time in these games, you, you think about who you'd really be in that world and whether you want to make that your home. Yeah. And some people get excited by what would I do after the world's destroyed? And where would I find the humanity in that? And then a fantasy world, um, has opportunities in, in a different way. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I completely yeah. understand it. I, I never try to convince people of the other. <laughs> Fallout 3, the one thing we got posted a lot was, some people would say, well, I, I do find it very depressing. So I don't, people would say, okay, why, why, didn't, you, why didn't it stick with you? Like right. it's kind of, it gets kind of dark.
1: And I think that's why I, I, I'm in the Elder Scrolls campus because your games are about living somewhere else I like living in a medieval high fantasy setting, and it's a lot yeah. more bleak to live
2: in a post-apocalyptic... It can be bleak, and, but that's coming into Fallout 4, that was one of the themes. How do we, how do we make this your home? Yeah. You know, that's figuring yeah. the building things and stuff like that.
1: Um, how important is it to the creative health of your team to... I know you said you kind of will flow people back and forth, but generally speaking, you know, you're, you're kind of focusing on... Elder Scrolls or Fallout and now Starfield, which we'll talk about, but how important has that been over the years to the creative health of your team rather than, you know, you see studios on other franchises that are just at work on the same thing year in and year out?
2: I think it's important, though, a lot of people will, they love these franchises. They would work on them for 10, 20 years in a row if, yeah. if we let them. Um, it's more about not having a a game every other year or every year where they feel like oh we have a release we have a release they do feel like okay we can take our time and uh, do something unique with this each time.
1: So you think it's it's interesting you you think it's uh more about not the wearing least, out the fans as than where uh, about fans wearing out actually, the developers.
2: They, no. The fans want it. They if you gave them one in two a year or two two years that if you could hit that quality bar we have we have shown they want it. Yeah. Um, but that's just not, you know, the quality is going to suffer.
1: Right. Yeah. Makes sense. It's still,
2: no, it's good. I'm just saying it's not essential. Yeah. Right. It's very good that we get to move between it because you miss it. Right. Um, when we had come to fallout four, we hadn't worked on Fallout in a while because we've been doing Skyrim and you really kind of miss it. And then when we, when we start looking at elder scroll stuff, we, we miss it now. Right. So we miss it. I know. (laughs)
1: we'll talk about that. <laughs> um okay, so yeah, you, you alluded to this earlier, the the expansion of your empire. Uh Bethesda Game Studios Dallas your words. Austin. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, sure. I'm the interviewer, they're my words. Sure. But uh yeah, I, I think it's uh I think it's fair to call it the Todd Howard empire. It's uh, a
2: very small one though.
1: It but it's yours. Okay, fair enough. Yeah.
2: So, uh how
1: how did that sort of all come about? Is that a, is that a thing where you just need more resources and so you go to the to the company and say what's the best way for me to get these additional resources or or is it a thing where they're coming to you suggesting hey Todd we want to get some more irons in the fire some more stuff cooking how do we do that so sort of where where how does the the Todd Howard empire grow to where it has
2: i generally always get asked well, i don't know if i'd call it pressure to to hire more and expand so that we can we can do more um, but i like to be conservative about that so that who we are and our culture doesn't change so here in rockville we've we've grown at the same rate we've always grown um you know we were 100 now we're maybe then 110 120 130 we're maybe about 140 right now but so not maybe we add eight to ten people a year yeah um and You could say in one hand, let's increase that growth and just start hiring. But I've seen that go wrong other places. We had an opportunity. So it started with Montreal where we were working with a group of people, about 40-some that were at another company. And we said, we love working with you all. We would love to open a studio around you. So they were people we had worked with for a long time, years and Yves um, Chance, who runs that studio, one of the, the best game maker studio heads that, that I've worked with running that, and it was, we didn't want to stop working together. And so we did that, but it wasn't you know it wasn't like, okay, we're going to open a studio in Montreal and and hire, and hire, 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 hire.
1: So it was super organic.
2: Right. Um, and then the Austin studio had been Battlecry. Right. That was a studio already within ZeniMax, and there were issues with the project, and the company wanted to pause that project but we knew some of the people there and we said hey we have this online thing that we've kind of put aside we don't have the skills for that we'd love to work with them but they were already working with the company we knew them and then same thing with dallas that was escalation studios where we had worked with them for years in all these cases we had worked with these people for years before we said hey I." you think dated
1: for a while before right we dated <laughs> for
2: a very long time and so those weren't they weren't hiring there wasn't a hiring pace right it was a we're already working together. Dallas, they did, they did all the VR versions. So they did VR Skyrim and Fallout 4 with us. Yeah, they did the Doom. Switch version of Fallout Shelter, and they had been working on Starfield stuff with us. And so it was, hey, we should we should get.
0: how he rose from nothing to become new york's king of the egg cream so if
1: you like funny true stories come listen to king of the egg cream available wherever you get your podcasts married so if you're if you've got 140 people in this building is it still at the point where i could bring in any one of them and you would know their name absolutely yeah you you know everybody still oh yeah that's great yeah because yeah you know you see a lot of these a lot of the realities of AAA game development where it's their 1,000-person there efforts and... You know, yeah, and, and it
2: needs to be said, it's not just me. Our average tenure in Rockville average is yeah. over 10 years. Over 10 years. And that sort of going through multiple cycles together, I think is what makes... It, it really makes the difference. Where, And some of these people I've worked with for 20 years. And that's just so unique in our industry, and it's, you know, I think what keeps us... Uh, very very motivated and and like enriched by what we do do you do you worry about some of the trends
1: you see happening in games with you know big rounds of layoffs or or you know just ballooning project costs where it does take however many tens of millions of dollars and and a thousand people thrown at something like just you know you are you've clearly got a, a good hand on your culture and what you guys are all mm-hmm. about but are you worried at all about the, the sort of industry at large?
2: I wouldn't say I'm I'm worried where th- those cycles come right. You got like I, I look very holistically at at video games and have, have done it long enough where um, you look at the previous console cycles or things like that where things happen in the industry that get very here's what happens something gets very very popular. And everybody chases it. It's like six-year-old soccer, right? Everyone chases the ball for a while, and then it gets oversaturated, and then it comes down. Right, like Battle Royale right now. Whatever it is, right? And so those things kind of, they they come and go. And I think right now we are in a business cycle where there are certain pockets that, you know, they're getting bubbly and will, will pop in some way, and hopefully... The, whatever damage is caused by that is, is minimal.
1: So, I mean, there's, there's also a lot of conversation about crunch these days and, and sure. the health of, of teams and, and what these human beings have to go through to make these incredible, you know, 100-plus-hour experiences like you guys make. What's, how would you classify the, the, the health of, of your team as human beings? How, how, how are you guys taking care of them?
2: Look, we've been through, again, a lot of people here have done it for a long time. So we've been through every type of crunch uh, you can imagine. And long ago, some ones that were very, very difficult um, for a lot of us, you know, personally and your time and your health and things like that. And we have gotten much, much better at it. So now we're at the point where, hey, we can really really manage it and we have enough people to move them between it. And I think it's why people stay here. Um, I think each studio in our industry is very different. I wouldn't, you know, I don't know enough about how other groups run to really judge that. I can only look sure. at ourselves. The one thing I'll say is that I think every game deserves some amount, at the very end, at some, some amount that is healthy to leave it all in the field um, because it's important to us. It's important yeah. to our fans. And you just got to make sure that is communicated really well. And... Look, a lot of industries have people that work really, really hard. Um, the difference in games, when people ask about it, that I sort of tell them is, sometimes in a games, a lot of R&D effort. You could spend, you could, you could say, we're just going to crunch. We're going to spend 10 to 12 hours a day, and that could end up being meaningless, right? right. Well, that didn't work. and that, And you start doing that for weeks on end, that's where it really weighs on you. So that's actually the part that, outside of the hours that you that you have to manage.
1: So if you, you know, as you read the, the the reports, you know, some of the great work like Jason Schreier's done and sort of shining a light on some of this stuff, do you read those and feel good about what what Bethesda and, and Zenimax are doing or do you read any of that and and maybe say, "Oh, okay, well maybe maybe I should take a closer look at at who we are and what we're doing."
2: We're always looking at it here, so I don't, you know, reading something about someone else, it doesn't it doesn't change how we're, we're doing things. Yeah, um, I feel that we've done really well with it, but there are times where we haven't, and we, we try to catch ourselves very quickly on those. Yeah.
1: Fallout 76 uh, is a big fall game, not under your personal... like. This team here, Rockville's. There was a lot of people here involved in it, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, Austin, the, the
2: Austin team was. was were they the, the kind of Austin studio? I mean, the whole studio in Austin's working on it. They, I think they've done a really incredible job. But there's a lot of people uh, here in Rockville, and yeah. in Dallas, and in Montreal. Everybody. That was that was a lot of people.
1: Um, you know, th- so that that project certainly at launch was was simply just not super well received uh, critically. Certainly. Uh, do, do you have an idea of, of how it's going to land or were you caught off guard by the launch
2: of that we game? We knew we were going to have a lot of bumps. You know, that's a difficult development. A lot of new systems and yeah. things like that. Hey, we're going to go try this new thing. And anytime you're going to do something new like that, you know you're going to have your bumps. Uh, you know that a lot of people might say that's not the game we want from you. But we still want to be somebody who's trying new things. Um, and that was a very difficult... Difficult development on that game to get it where it was, and we were ready for, you know, a lot of those difficulties ended up on the screen, and we knew, hey, look, um, we're, we this is not the type of game that people are used to from us, and we're going to get we're going to get some criticism on it, yeah. um, and a lot of that very well deserved criticism.
1: Because that's, I mean, you'd been on uh, like quite the the hot Las Vegas type of of winning streak sure you personally like a like a todd howard your sure. name on something so that was uh
2: that was but we knew that going into this we knew it's yeah. not that right yeah you would say look this isn't this isn't a game even from the beginning this is not going to be like you know high metacritic game that's not what this is um given what it is and but we knew we felt strongly this is a game we want to play this is something we really want to do and all of the games like this whether it's us or somebody else you can go back and look at them there's a period once you launch. It's not how you launch, it's, it's what it becomes. And, and, you know, can't be prouder of the team that's worked on it. They've worked tirelessly, and, and it's really turned around. It's a, a fabulous game and an incredible community around it.
1: How do you, is, is there a, a strategy for kind of getting over that, get, you know, get shaking the, the reputation that it, that it got at launch and kind of winning people back over?
2: I think, well, there's no strategy other than just keep making the game better. Um, and they'll people who play it and they'll come back and it was, by the way it's been very popular right so yeah. it was a huge release for us um, the community around it's really really strong obviously it got a lot of criticism and stories and we see all that and it's not you don't want to read that but it is what it is and again um, we deserved a lot of that so it's just working, working the issues like hey what do the consumers want, what do we want how do we get there, this is a very long uh, tale for us in this game and there's some awesome stuff coming this year that I think uh, people are going to see at E3 and be hopefully very excited.
1: Over the course of your career, have you been a guy that's read reviews?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, I read them all. So you got to read the good and the bad ones, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, I yeah. read all the comments, um, and you look, I've experienced it all, right? We've had the games that hit the high 90s and win all the games of the years, and we have the ones that, that don't as well, and that, that kind of comes with the territory. I think it's part of the job to, to read all of that. And whereas I don't always like the grammar or adjectives they use, <laughs> I think the intent is always, even like a very mean-spirited comment from a fan, I think the intent behind that is actually well-meaning. Yeah, they're like, be a they kernel lo- of... They love these games. Yeah. Um, and they're super important to them. And they're important to us. So I think you have to dig into that and say, okay, where could we have done better? Yeah.
1: so on that note like if you 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 knew going into seventy six that it was maybe gonna gonna be a little bumpy what uh when it actually comes out and you see the the real world feedback and reaction to it and what have you learned from seventy six
2: well the main takeaway we had was you gotta let it bake with a large live audience for longer than we did there's just certain things you can never see until it's Run in 24/7 for a number of months. So yeah. you know, if there's one thing that we could have, I think I would have done differently is find a way to let more, let at scale people be playing the game 24/7 before you say, you know, everybody in.
1: Here you go. Pay us. So if, if for instance, if you maybe you wish you'd launch that into Steam Early Access.
2: Whether or or
1: Xbox game preview and you know or something
2: like that or you know okay you're a Fallout 4 player um, we're going to let you in the beta for free for this period of time yeah things like that that I think would have would have made a a world of difference in how the game hit on on day one but it still probably would have had some some issues but we would have had a better look at at what they were right.
1: Do you think seventy six has had any lasting sort of damage to Bethesda's reputation or or Fallout's reputation?
2: I'm sure it's had some. It would be naive to say it's had zero, yeah. right. Um, but I think if people come to the game now and see what's going on there, I think they'll be they'll be surprised where I'm really, really proud of what everybody's done in the game, and because I know where it's going I, I think. Um, we're definitely long-term believers in what's going to be happening with that game but more so us engaging with the people who play our games every day and so it was partly that for me which is if you look at a Skyrim and Fallout 4 of those things the amount of people that play those games still is I mean you, get, you can look it up on this. it's, it's staggering yeah. millions and millions of people every month playing those games and we have no Touch point with them. Right. Right. It's just like we ship the game, uh, we do some mod stuff, but here you go. And so 76 was also, we need to learn how to be engaging and being able to update and see what players are doing and like be more engaged in that experience than zero. Right. So
1: and it's got to be, I don't know how much time you spend sort of looking outward at things, but it's got to be reassuring when you see a No Man's Sky or a Sea of Thieves some of these other similar kind of service-based games that, have, uh, that, were, that did launch <clears> poorly in some capacity or another, but have, over time, through many an update, like come to a, back to a place where they're now very well-regarded and very well-liked. But more than
2: that, it's actually all of them. Right? Yeah, I won't go through the list. But yeah. You could take most popular online games and go back to day zero, and that they're going to go through their problems. And you're seeing that kind of across the industry. Yeah. That was the part we knew. I have to say, that's the part we knew going in. No matter what we do, we're going to have some problems. And we need to make sure we're ready to continue that momentum from before release, you know, right through it. Yeah. Our own Elder Scrolls Online.
1: That's right? true. That's a good one.
2: That's, that's a good one. It's our yeah. own company, right? So um, they helped us on this game. They gave us a lot of vision as to, like, here's how things are going to go. They've helped us post-release. And so our own company has been through that where um, ESO, the launch, you know, wasn't a well-received game. Right. And that team did incredible work. And you look at ESO now, it's one of the most played MMOs across oh, every platform. It's it, incredible. Yeah, an eight-figure um, million player base. It, it's, so that's just within our company. Yeah. So, yeah. Fallout New
1: Vegas, super well-liked. Yeah. Very beloved over the years. Was there ever
2: any thought to,
1: to doing another Fallout game with Obsidian? Obviously, they're owned by Microsoft now, but did that ever go it, anywhere?
2: I wouldn't say there were there were conversations you know look, love those guys Fergus is one of like I think one of the great people in the industry, um, and we've always had a great relationship with them. We like to keep it internal because we know what we want to do, so it is um, if we can keep it internal, we would, and now that they've been bought, you know you never say never, yeah, it but it sail. makes it it makes it highly unlikely I'll say that um and there were obviously very few people when the New Vegas thing came up, because we were going to be moving on to Skyrim. You know, hey, we want more Fallout. Like, other you thing, know, this is a hit. What are you going to do next? We're like, Skyrim. <laughs> um, and it was, hey, look, there's only one group that we, we really trust to do this. And uh, it, was, it was awesome. It
1: was, it was only ever Obsidian. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That paid off. We got other.
2: Look, <laughs> very well. We get lots of people saying that they would do it even back then like hey yeah. you should let us do this and that was for for me it was the only it's either the it's either this group or nobody who's the most
1: famous developer that you've rebuffed that would be
2: unfair
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me off the air later um, so what what's the what is the plan generally speaking for the the new Bethesda Game Studios studios you know the the Austin's the Dallas's the Montreal's are they there to Assist this team's efforts here in Rockville, or or are you gonna? Or, or will we see them kind of grow their own IPs or, or work on, you know, new games and existing franchises?
2: Well, it's going to be a mix. The, we need certain scale for all of us to come together on some of the bigger things we're we're doing. Yeah. Um, but it, there's also individual initiatives led out of each studio. The in Montreal, the mobile the mobile group is in in Montreal, who did Fallout Shelter, who did Blades, Um, and I kind of executive produce and direct them with with other people here, but the core team um, is there, fabulous group. Dallas, again, they did the VR stuff, and Austin, obviously, leading the online efforts with 76, so it's it's kind of a mix. I don't want to give a specific answer to that, but there are times where it needs to act as one, and there are times where the leadership in those studios um, is going to be driving something.
1: Have uh, have you played with Valve Index or Rift S and the, the new uh, the new VR headsets and a little bit, a little do, bit. Do you, do you, do you, is there a future for those in, uh, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to go mainstream. If you know, that's everybody's always waiting for the when yeah. is VR going to break through. But are you guys are interested in continuing to explore VR?
2: We are. We, you know, that's the kind of thing where we start very early. We did on VR initially. It's stuff we love. Um, and I'm still waiting, personally, I think, and I've said before, you look historically at those things, it's generally the third generation of something, where quality meets price point, and the, the, the addressable market expands. Yeah. And we're just, it's gone a little slower than I would so have So we're liked. on Gen 2 now. Well, we're, in, we're like in the very beginning. <laughs> the beginning? That's we're true. We're in the very, we're yeah. like 1.8, I don't know. <laughs> it's going a little slower than I, than I had hoped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, we'll see where it heads. I, obviously, as it comes to power and portability, that's where VR needs to hit the sweet spot.
1: So the project that you're, I presume, working primarily on now is Starfield. Uh, and that is your first original IP uh, Correct. since, well, I guess, period? I mean, Elder Scrolls was... Elder Scrolls. But, but yours, specifically? For me, yes. The, um, the f- I know you're not going to sit here and just rattle off all the features how for How much time me. do we have?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> for, for a game that hasn't been shown yet. But I did want to ask you, just sort of higher level, what are your goals with, with, with Starfield? And, and sort of philosophically, how do you look at it in comparison to Elder Scrolls and Fallout? I just kind of want to get a sense of how you think about this.
2: That's a good question. Um, first, that, that old list of Hey, what games you want to do? It was post-apocalyptic and then epic science fiction, um, and so we've had a vision of that game. Uh, it's a game I've wanted to make for a very, very long time, and we felt post Fallout Four. We knew during Fallout Four, our next thing was going to be Starfield, um, and had thought about it for a very long time. So the main thing is that you got to look at it in terms of franchise, not just. Game, what does that mean? What is the tone? So we, we always start with tone, and uh, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it now, but a very uh, have its own tone as far as there's so much science fiction. Yeah, in the same way Fallout has its own tone in post-apocalyptic, Elder Scrolls has found its own tone, but originally didn't. It was very very generic uh, fantasy, and so I think our aspirations for that game. You know, it's the end-all, be-all science fiction game that everyone's always wanted to play. Well, we we could be the ones to pull this off. We have enough talent and experience and technology. We need to write a whole bunch of new technology that we're doing, um, but we think that that we can pull it off. So, when you
1: say, you mean you saying be-all, end-all science fiction game that we've all wanted to play? I mean that that raises. Certain. You
2: know, yeah, I guess that's thoughts. up for that's up for interpretation. <laughs> My yeah. end all be all science fiction <laughs> game I wanted to play. Um,
1: but you know something you say I, I have to say like I don't know if it bothered me is quite the right way to say it. But you said uh, you think about it not as the game but as the franchise. You're I mean you're a, you're a creator. Isn't that? That's almost sounds like more of a business way of thinking about it. should Don't you think about the game and then sure, if it I, happens I, I, to organically become a franchise?
2: Sorry, I'd say better. The the world it's in Yeah, is better to say. Okay. You could do a game and that just feels like, well, that world wasn't fully fleshed out. That wasn't like, uh, you know, the, the Fallout is very fleshed out now, it, even in its initial um, genesis. Right. So that's really what I mean. You have so, to think yeah, about it.
1: world building, not like... We're not like six games. Yeah, in no, a, we have not planned. no, we have
2: not planned past <laughs> yeah. this game. Yeah, that, yeah. sorry, probably poorly said. Or IP or whatever people whatever f- label you want to put <laughs> on it, that it needs to be as fully fleshed out as to um, you know, how far in the future is it? What happened in all those years in between? What is the technology level? What do they eat? Where do they go? What do they know? How do they communicate? What are the races or places or people or creatures or this or that? And why it takes that's really what I mean. like okay. And have it be its own thing as opposed to that's Star Trek or that's Star Wars or so, Somebody looks at it and says, that's Starfield. Yeah. You can look at Fallout and say, that's Fallout. Well, unlike
1: so with Fallout, you you just got done saying yourself, you know, you've you've kind of inspired a whole wave of post apocalyptic games that have that have followed in, since Fallout 3 shipped. But with Starfield, it's sort of the opposite. There's we've got no shortage of science fiction. Sure. Video games out there. So are you are you playing other sci-fi games? Are you reading sci-fi books? Sort of, how are you, uh, as to, to get yourself in a mindset for where this is going, What? how are you preparing yourself? Well, first yourself? of all, it's
2: a project we've already worked on for, what, what year is this? I've 2019. Okay, so we're three and a half years in. Yeah. You know, we started before that, so it's... Um, we look at all of it. I don't want to really answer that because then, you know, we we look at this one. Right. You know,
0: I
1: get
2: it. But we look at, we look at it all, and again, that for us is having it be unique because there is so much science fiction. So st- I would like to dodge all these questions. Well, that's yeah. You, I, How am you, I doing?
1: You've been you've been. You can't see the leather binding here. He can't get out of the <laughs> chair. Um, but no. So this is so effectively you want to. You wanna put you have a vision for what the sci-fi game you've always wanted to play. And yeah, that's, that's what you're going for here.
2: Yes. And it's not just that that the tone of the world. It's the game flow and the things you can you can do.
1: Are you gonna tell me about the tone at all? No. No.
2: Though, well with the teaser we put out teases the tone.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I don't know. When are we gonna see more of it? Next e three?
2: Um, everyone should be very patient. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I will say this: I like it to be very. I like when you really see the game to when it's out is as, yeah. as short as possible, yeah. as I mean, short as people will let me.
1: I mean, Fallout with Fallout Four, you guys uh, again inspired a lot of other publishers to kind of go that same route yeah. of we're going to announce it and then ship it six months later. Five months. Yeah. Five um, months.
2: Yeah, that was as short as I was told anyone would allow me to do.
1: <laughs> you would go shorter think, if you could. Oh yeah.
2: Well, maybe, I'm trying to think what's perfect right now. Maybe a week just to get people excited. Right. To have those, those moments of, I saw it, there's some trailers, percolates in your mind, and they're.
1: So you would rather just don't, not even. Don't hold
2: me to that, yeah. all right? Because uh, you should just cut that. You'd
1: rather just not even. I mean, that, you're going to put me out of business doing that stuff. Really? Yeah. No.
2: You do this, you're fine. Well, I do,
1: yeah, I guess so. Okay. I'll, make, I'll figure out a way. I don't know. I think anyway. shorter,
2: shorter is better. Yeah. I think people see something. Like when have you seen a trailer or a demo and said, "I'd like to wait"? <laughs> right? Well, I don't
1: think it's that. I, I get where you're coming from, though. I think more it's
2: there's Maybe a retail people... aspect to that yeah. where you know the retail channel needs to know, and the earlier they know, the earlier they can prepare, the earlier they can leak it, you know, all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So um, what's up, Walmart Canada? Yeah. So
1: um, it's not just them. <laughs> would you rather? Would you rather games? pivot to be more like film in that regard and just like hey here's a trailer maybe six months out and then maybe a second trailer and well, then film has gotten very
2: different right film has started to tease it really early this is what we're making and we're doing that on this right we're sitting here talking about yeah. starfield something that i normally wouldn't do you would just you know come five six months out before it's out yeah. but i think uh those kind of things now in terms of letting your audience know this is what we're doing, this is the order, so people know, hey, we're doing Starfield, we're in the early stages of Elder Scrolls Six, and that will be after Starfield. I think it's good to let you know, our fans know that, to set those expectations. Right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, on that note, so, as, as I said, and you kind of were starting to, I could see you doing the math in your head to see if fact-check me, but it seems like we're probably going to go a decade between major elder scrolls releases between 5 and 6.
2: I think everyone should be very patient.
1: <laughs> and that's <laughs> like what what are the sort of pros and cons of of letting that series sit dormant for that long because there there are
2: good and bad things, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, first of all, Elder Scrolls Online is hugely hugely popular. And the team doing that at uh, Zenimax Online is is fabulous. So it's not that we're not feeding elder, high quality Elder Scrolls to people. No, but I, you, yeah, I know.
1: you know yourself know yeah, that a, a I know, lot of yeah. your fans don't want to play with other people in the in your in the, the Elder Scrolls world. They want to just go off in their. Not own. just
2: that. I think they want a certain type of experience that is very. Um, it's what we've done. Where we're the world and the things around you, you can pick up this water bottle. You can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, things that things that we love. Um, The gap in between is obviously going to be long. It already is. Um, And on one hand, I think it's good to miss things. You know what I mean? I think that makes people um, come to it with really, really fresh eyes. And I think when they eventually, eventually see the game and what we have in mind, they'll understand the gap more in terms of technology and what we, what we want it to do. The one thing it does is people are still playing Skyrim. It's still one of the best-selling games. Um, I know people joke about it online, but it's, you know, it's one of the best-selling games on Switch. Anything we put it out on, it becomes a hit game. Right. And they love it. They still play it. It's, it's almost infinitely playable, all of the mods and everything like that. So what that does, and we're eight years post-Skyrim? Yeah. Um it lets us know going into Elder Scrolls VI, this is a game we need to design and people will play for a decade at least.
1: At least So technologically, do you you're 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 I guess it'll be the first time that Elder Scrolls has missed a whole console generation.
2: In in a certain way, yeah, we put out the special editions, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, it will. Um, yeah. So That's a little weird, but yeah.
1: A little weird. But do you do you is are you thinking about six in a whole new way or or is it just the fact that you are busy with Starfield and can't get to it like the, or does and does the technology kind of pair with that at all with 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 allowing you to change your thinking?
2: It's a little of both, right? We had done so many things. We're going Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Fallout. Yeah. You You have this Starfield game in your head. You sort of say, well, when it can be never. You can say never, but look, we're. We're creatives and it's like, okay, we we, we we have to make this game and this is the time and so Elder Scrolls six is gonna have to wait a little bit. And plus again, Elder Scrolls Online is doing so well. It's it's so vibrant that this is this is the time, both for us creatively and our audience. Um, if we could compress that time and have it all happen faster, I could wave a magic wand. Of course we would, of course we would, but we're not gonna sacrifice that.
1: But and you've you've already said you will you will keep that. I mean you could theoretically farm it out to one of the other bgs studios and you just oversee it from here if you wanted it you know out that badly but it will be it will but be again, done the, here by the you the kind
2: of things that we're talking about are going to take a lot of people yeah. every bgs studio will probably be involved yeah. in that game and even starfield right now um it's not really in austin but in dallas and in montreal there's there's staff on starfield as well Developers
1: you admire. That's what I wanted to. add. I've got a couple more before you. Before I finally unstrap you to that chair and let you go. But I'm kind of curious. Who? Who? You know, you've you've become. Uh, you are a hall of famer. You are uh, someone who's uh, incredibly accomplished in this industry. Who are some game developers that you admire?
2: Well, there's studios and games that I definitely admire. There's people I admire who have who have gotten to know. Um, I, you know, I've always been a fan of Blizzard's work. Um, I love the way they go about things, and I, I just, you know have played their games endlessly. Rockstar, obviously, the work that they've done. And they've, maybe, are
1: they an inspiration at all in the sense of what you said earlier about letting Elder Scrolls sit for a while? I they, don't draw, yeah. Yeah, they've, you know, they they go, they're gonna probably go 10 years between Grand Theft Autos, so they're, they're you I guys don't are, use that
2: as an inspiration. Like, that's not inspiring me to well, take but my they, time. Okay, they went, like, five years between <laughs> right, GTA no, 4 and shows, 5, Right, it and shows then, that, you know, the yeah. audience, We'll we'll stick around and be yeah, hungry they'll be for there for right? You. Yeah, I would say this. It makes me not worried <laughs> that the audience is going to go away, right? Um, uh, Naughty Dog, yeah. Um, I know the guys at Insomniac well. Respawn, um, uh, CD Project Red. The, the, the stuff that they do is is fantastic. Um, Kind of, you know, if this, I'm on the spot, I feel like I'm missing so many people. Um, <laughs> You'll get angry I, This calls. is weird. This is weird. And this will be this will be a curveball for everybody. EA Sports. I don't think people appreciate how much care they put. I love those games. I actually love American football and, and play the heck out of Madden. And please bring back NCAA football.
1: I mean, you started, you said yourself, you started on a sports game. Yeah, college basketball game. I, I love college sports. Whenever I talk to sports game developers, I, I do like to sort of tell them that i I think they have tell me if you agree they have maybe one of the hardest jobs they have the most i would say
2: this the most underappreciated game development job yeah you have a yearly cadence you have to mimic something people know for real right right that's really hard too um and they're also in the you know competitive they get in the competitive esports scene um i love forza uh, another like just the the quality that goes into that game are
1: you a horizon or a motorsport guy
2: i like them both
1: um so you know this is the elder scrolls fallout conversation again tend to people tend to prefer one forts of flavor or the other maybe even if they like both Gun i always like
2: i always like the last one so the new horizon is stunning yeah. it's the right St- oh my gosh the new horizon <laughs> so good the new horizon is the best one they've done yeah um but i'm sure the next one will be better so I, I played every single one of those. I, I love it.
1: Um, so you've been here your entire career. Yes. Uh, that is rare these days in, in absolutely any line of work. Right. Even professional athletes, they you know, they change teams. Uh, and it's certainly rare in game development, too. I mean, it's, it's uh, just not a thing we see very often. Were at any point, were you ever tempted to, like, go off and start your own studio? Or have you ever, did anyone ever get... Uh, close to luring you away at any point?
2: I have to think about it. no. I mean, during the period before Morrowind, it was well. This might not go well. I may need to do something else. Yeah. Right. Fortunately, it went well. But that wasn't that wouldn't be from my decision. Like I don't like the company. It was well. This might not exist. Right. And then obviously you're forced to look for a job. Um, but no, I've been incredibly lucky. I, this is the only building I've worked in. Right. <laughs> like I've been driving this building for 25 years yeah. literally I've spent more you know more time in these worlds than anything in my life family at like so um it becomes a part of you on a very a very deep level but it's also deeply fulfilling and so
1: well on that note the last question I have for you before I let you go um do you what do you think about like what the next ten years of your career looks like? And do you ever think about retirement? I mean, you're still a young guy, but you've also been here for twenty five years. So, do you kind of think about like ever hanging it up and just going off to a desert island somewhere? Or what's uh... only
2: when projects are done. Yeah, you know, you want to take a break. <laughs> um, I actually took a good long break after Fallout Four. I'd been doing it for for so long, um, and that that gave me a good perspective on. Yeah. Hey, look, I. I want to do this for as long as humanly possible, but I do need to do some things differently so that I don't drive myself into the ground. Um, and there's what's, the, so- what's
1: a good long break mean to you? Is that a week or is that a month? Or I
2: took about, I took a, like a three-month sabbatical. Nice. Yeah. Um, something I, I I desperately needed. and But it gave me great assurance that the other leadership here um, they're very, very good at what they do. They've been doing it a long time. So it's not just for me. Again, not just me here. I speak for everybody who does this. And myself and others want to do it for as long as possible. And, you know, find a way to do that in, in, in the right ways. Um, and it, it, the industry changes. So how do, you, how do you move with that? So I don't think about retirement, but I do think about it in terms of, um, you know, it's not just me. So a lot of people here with a lot of great ideas are going to do a lot of great things. And part of my job is making sure that those voices are heard as well and those ideas come up and that they feel fulfilled.
1: Are uh, you on board with this cloud gaming thing?
2: The Do uh, so you think Stadia is going to be a big part of the future? What? I think all of that is going to be a big part of the future. Yeah. Right? I think um, you look at every other kind of entertainment medium, whatever, you know, whether it's linear movies television music um they all eventually head in that direction so i don't think it's a matter of if it's a matter of when most people start start playing that way
1: uh and then i got asked to, on the same note circumventing the nda as you've probably already signed um since we're probably going to get two todd howard bethesda game studios games on the next generation of consoles. What do you what do you want out of those? What do you hope to see from them, sort of technically speaking?
2: They're all, um, yeah. How to not break NDAs? You're really good at this. You <laughs> I know do my ask, best. Like, what I've been o-
1: doing this a long time.
2: They're doing the right things. They are all. I, I get. You are to be- confident
1: in the direction that, that these platform holders are heading in. Absolutely.
2: That's what actually one of the big benefits of my position is. I get to see stuff really early. Yeah. You know, got to see this. One of the first people ever to see the Switch. And that was, I can say, it was, it was one of the best hardware demos I have ever seen. Just, what did they show I, you? I, I can't say, but the way they did it was uh, was really great. Um, and because you hadn't really seen the device, or sure. what, is, what is Nintendo doing? Yeah. And it's so uniquely them. I uh, just, you know, we fell in love initially right, right away, um, and that's why we've been a big supporter of the Switch. But the things everybody is doing are. Uh, in my mind, no one is uh, screwing up at the starting line, which some people have done before. Yeah,
1: We're, uh, are there are there going to be any, or have there been any uh, spec upgrade parties here
2: recently? Well, <laughs> or, I think over the, over whatever's going on. I think Sony <laughs> released a little bit of their uh, their loading streaming. Yeah, stuff. they
1: talked about that with uh, with Wired with the, the SSD.
2: I, I, I So don't that's wanna... cool
1: for what you guys do, right? When you're constantly streaming a, a, a giant open game world.
2: Yeah, I don't know if they release. I got to catch myself not to talk about. It. <laughs> everybody's like they're either focused on on the right things. Yeah. Um, and in particular, it helps the kind of games that, that, that we make tremendously.
1: Yeah, and no. So he said no 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 obvious stumbles out of the starting gate this, this go around for anybody. In my in you, my opinion, from a technical perspective.
2: Um, I think everybody everybody has learned their lessons in some good ways and some some hard ways and they they are very very thoughtful about their audience and and the developers and so um, I think look I think my view of it is it's going to be awesome across the board not just the systems but kind of the business models that gaming is finally reaching the point that linear entertainment is. Movies, television, all of that. Yeah. Where you have, you're going to have games that are big tent poles that people can buy for 60 bucks. That's kind of like going to the theater. You're going to have games you can play in a subscription service. You're going to have ones you can download on your phone. You're going to have ones that are, you can play and maybe they're ad supported. Um, And I think that's really, really healthy for the industry, not just, obviously the players who want to consume it, but the developers who say, I just want to make an adventure game for this budget that there's an audience for that and my worry before was hey will all of that go away right, right? Um, you know there was a pocket in television a while ago where before the subscription services come where it was all going to crappy reality television True. because that's where the audience and the money break was but now you look at you look at that kind of form where there's great dramatic television and series and there's you got your tent pole uh theater things that are that are doing well and so um, I see that coming for games where everybody can have an avenue for, here's what I want to make, and I can find some success.
1: Todd Howard, thank you so much. Thank uh, you. This is awesome. This is a real pleasure for me. Uh, I, it's, it's been a long time since I've had the opportunity to interview you, and I got to come to your space this time. Exactly. We didn't have to meet in a horrible, noisy E3 backroom, <laughs> which always makes it better, but no. Uh, this has been another episode of IGN Unfiltered. Stay tuned every month on IGN, on YouTube, or iTunes or your favorite podcast service for interviews with uh, Todd Howard and other wonderful video game developers. Uh, So for more, look for us next month,
0: and we'll see you next time. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Get inspired while learning all about the unique planes of existence. Get the in-depth knowledge you need to help your combat encounters feel impactful, or learn about the origins and pantheons of every race and class the game offers. No stone is left unturned as every edition of the game is explored and explained in a way that benefits players of all different levels of experience. You can expand your TTRPG horizons in a way that's as entertaining as it is educational just by listening. All you have to do is go to your favorite podcast app or YouTube and search for The Dungeon Cast.